I definitely felt sim- sim- similarly in the in the. Well, I definitely felt felt similarly. Oh my gosh, jeez. <laughs> so sim- similarly. Similarly. I felt the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello and welcome. We are going to be discussing our highlights from the Sundance Film Festival this year. And we've got a bonus section at the end where we're going to get into mid-season spoilers of WandaVision. Uh, But before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves and share about our favorite film festival experience. I'm Sandra Amstutz from Nashville, Tennessee. And my favorite film festival experience has to be my first year at South by Southwest. I had... Just turned 21. It was my first time experiencing Austin as an adult. My first time really going to bars. Um, and I'm pretty nostalgic for bar culture at the moment. Um, <laughs> and overall, it was just exciting to wait in lines and see films for the first time. It was a thrilling, thrilling event. That's awesome. Um, I'm Lucas Wright from Chicago, and my favorite film festival experience was 2018 when I first moved to Chicago. The Chicago International Film Festival um, is held at the small indie theater right by my house, and it was the year of Movie Pass. So Ugh. every day I was able to just go and buy a ticket to the to the festival movies, um, basically for free is what it felt like. So <laughs> it was fantastic. So I would get off work, walk to the theater, and then walk home. Um, after seeing some of the great movies that year, like Eighth Grade, um, and I'm trying to remember other movies that came out that year. <laughs> Feels like so long ago. Uh, American Animals, a lot, just a lot of like really fun movies, and it was my first summer in Chicago, so it just all around felt like an amazing oh. experience. God bless film festivals. Um, I hope they come back. I know. I know. I can't wait to go to more film festivals in person again. Uh, but we'll talk about more about that when we get to Sundance. Um, first, every time we like to talk about something we've, we've either discovered or rediscovered that week. So, Sandra, I would love to hear what you're feeling this week. So, lately I've been catching up on a lot of those TV shows that you've just been meaning to watch, but that weren't a, a high priority. And yes. I've been enjoying a lot of them. I watched season two of Blown Away. I, wa- I finally watched season two of Umbrella Academy, which I loved. Um, there's been a couple of others. But the show that I have started recently that I just keep coming back to um, and that I find myself, like, desperately wanting more of is the CBS sitcom called The Unicorn. So, have you ever heard of this sitcom before? I have not, no. Okay. I have a, I I think this sitcom, the setup is, makes me laugh because the premise of the pilot of the unicorn is that Walton Goggins plays a um, widowed, uh, really sweet dad. Um, He has two preteen daughters and his wife has died over a year ago and he's just starting to adjust. Their their family's just starting to adjust when his like group of very close, well meaning friends decides, like, dude, it's time for you to start dating again. And he creates a dating profile and discovers that he is like a highly sought after type of single man in today's dating world. Um, being widowed, being a sweet and loving father, being like um, settled down and and having a a great career in a house and a family. Um, He's referred to as a unicorn in the dating world. (laughs) There's a lack of good men like that. Um, And so the show is about him adjusting to dating and then still being a dad and then him and his friends being incredibly close. Um, And first of all, I found this very funny because in, like, lingo and slang, that is not what the term unicorn means, especially in the dating world. Um, And so it was very funny to me for a CBS show to pick up sort of a sexual, like, 
dating slang term and completely misrepresent it. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, a unicorn is like a woman who it will have sex with both men and women so that couples will have threesomes with her. Like, they refer to her as a unicorn. Um, and so for CBS to get that wrong I always made me laugh. And I always, like, heard, knew about the <laughs> unicorn, but um, never watched it. And recently, um, on CBS All Access, I've started, I watched all of season one and up to what's current on season two. And here's what I love about this show. It's a sitcom, and it is funny. It ha- It's cast Rob Corddry and Michaela Watkins play one of the couples of the friends of his close friends. And I've been big fans of bo- both of them separately as in other projects. And they're yeah, very they're funny. Great and in everything. <laughs> they're so, so funny. They're probably the funniest aspect of the show. Um, they also have um, Omar Benson Miller and Myelin Robinson play the other couple. And I'm completely unfamiliar with them, but they're amazingly funny as well. And, Walton Goggins is great and dynamic, but the thing about the show is, even though it is funny, this is not the kind of sitcom that I watch because of how funny it is. It's not, like, hysterically funny. It's so, so soothing. This is the most soothing show I've ever seen. (laughs) It's just, like, this really group of close friends, they all live in beautiful houses, like, on the same street, and they do dinners together constantly and they take care of each other and the dad is just a really good dad and he's really decent in the and he's dating and it's just like this utopia that i like to live in um i want to someday date. we'll get back to that <laughs> yeah but and not just like partly partially because of the pandemic like we're all kind of separate but also it's this like status thing right like maybe one day i'll live in a house that nice and one day i'll have kids and i'm not worried about their financials and i have a group of friends that we do they come over for dinner every single night like this isn't just there's no isolation you know like this is a a unit of friends that is take that they each have families but they're all taking care of each other and that's my fantasy right Um, Yeah. And then also, again, as a single woman, I do kind of get why they called him the unicorn, because like this type of (laughs) man is a rare find. And it is, again, very soothing and pleasing to watch this like sweet, dedicated dad who really respects women just go on dates um, and deal with his emotions, like go to therapy. Um so I found myself incredibly soothed by the unicorn. And if all of those things sound appealing to you as well, I highly recommend it. It is funny. I don't want to say like I'm, it's not funny, but the reason I'm watching it isn't for the comedy. That's awesome. I, I, I looked it up just now and it's definitely something that, that sounds like it. It sounds like something I would not watch normally, yeah. but in this time where like I'm really into soothing TV, <laughs> yeah. um, it sounds fantastic. So yeah. I will, here's my cri- one criticism of it. I don't know if it's like the daughters as actors that he has or the script that the the script writing for when he's doing like dad moments versus adult friend moments. Those moments kind of wear on me. Like they're they're just not as good, you know, as, as yeah. all the adult stuff. Um and so that that's my one criticism of it is that I wish the daughter stuff felt a little more realistic and a little less like afternoon TV special. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are Check you feeling out. this week? Um, this week I am feeling um, a song by an artist called Kathleen. Just Kathleen. Um, she is a indie singer songwriter from Colorado and she's, she's done some fun, um, very like songwriter type uh, songs that I've liked, but this winter she came out with a cover of Joni Mitchell's uh, "Both Sides Now," and I I put it on my winter playlist, and it has been awesome to listen to, um, especially after Sundance, which we'll talk more about. But um, this song has just kind of been on repeat for me.
I love Joni Mitchell, and I love covers of Joni Mitchell, <laughs> so yeah. it's been really fun to kind of listen to her take on it, um, and it's just been very kind of like soft and soothing um, for a song that I absolutely love. I mean, it's a beautiful cover. I've listened to this a few times since you told me about it, and I, yeah, it's beautiful, and this song, man, it will really get you. <laughs> it really will. It really will. It's it's it, it's been fun. It's interesting because like when I first heard it, I put it on my winter playlist, and it's like the last song on my playlist, and oh. so it'll kind of go through and then end the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and then in a little bit, we're going to talk about a movie at Sundance that um, this song plays a big part of it, and I was just like, I got to go back to that song now. Right. So, oh man. Um. Well, I think that's a great segue just to get into Sundance stuff. Are you ready? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so for those who don't know, the Sundance Film Festival is held in Park City, Utah every year, and it's a great place for independent films to come and get picked up by um, distributors. Little Miss Sunshine, Get Out, um, are all movies that have kind of premiered at Sundance and then got bought and distributed. I think Promising Young Woman last year was at Sundance. Yes. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I always forget Promising Young Woman because <laughs> last year um, it was the only film festival that actually met as usual before everything shut down. So right. I, I kind of like wipe that. But so and it actually had a year. Oh, go for it. I was just going to say a lot of the films from this past from last year have yet to be released because right. they're, exactly. they're waiting for theaters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so they had a year to figure out a virtual plan to see kind of like how they were going to go about it this year. And so for the first time, audiences were actually able to buy tickets and stream the lineup. Um, and it's actually estimated that over 500,000 people were able to view the Sundance Film Festival, which is more than three times what it usually has. So I think it went off without a hitch. And yeah, they... I'm really hoping that it continues to to kind of give this option in the future, even if they, they do go back to in-person screenings. In addition to the virtual screenings, they also offered satellite Sundance locations at little indie theaters across the country. Um, yes. Where they did, where they held screenings. My independent theater here in Nashville was one of those locations and they did several, um, they set up their drive-in movie theater parking lot um, set up and they used that to screen Sundance films as well. Very cool option. Nice. nice. Um, so let's start by talking about kind of what, what kind of ticket did you get? What, um, how did, <laughs> how did the viewing experience for you work out? Yeah. So, I there was lots of different ticket options. You could buy individual tickets to films or day passes or passes that covered more of the festival. Um, I decided that, like with my budget, I really just wanted to buy individual tickets to films I was really interested in. Um, and so those were about like $15 a ticket. And I watched, I want to say, five or so movies. Um, four or five, I think. And... I, they, the way that they had them was the movies were scheduled, um, to air at a specific time, um, online, but you could tune in, um, within three hours after the premiere time. So if a movie premiered at seven, you had, um, till 11 PM to start the movie. And then once you started the movie, you had four hours to watch it. Um, so you could pause as much as you like, you could rewind and rewatch scenes. Um, you had a four hour window. So, um, that's what I did. And I ended up watching, um, from Thursday till Sunday, I watched a movie on Thursday, a movie on Friday, a movie on Saturday and two on Sunday afternoon. Um, and the experience of streaming went off without a hitch. Um, I just, you know, put everything in my calendar. I, was able to start with the flexibility that was really nice. And um, yeah, I didn't have a single streaming issue. Um, what about you? Yeah, that's fantastic. That sounds um, very relaxing <laughs> compared yeah. to my experience. <laughs> I, I bet, yeah. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed my experience, but um, it was definitely a little more hectic. I So I got the, the winner's pass. On the last day of the film festival, um, for $100, you could watch any of the movies that won in all categories so they were just all available for you but you only had that day to watch them so 
fit them all in if you can kind of a thing. Um, and there was no schedule. It was just kind of like no you schedule. picked your yep. own schedule. Okay. Yep. It's all it's all on your own. Just they were all available within the app, and you got to choose. You could only watch them once, and once you started it, you had a four-hour window to finish it. But got other it. than that, it's all up. Um, so I made a little schedule um, and just kind of hung out on the couch the entire day <laughs> watching <laughs> watching movies. So I ended up watching – did I watch wow. six? Or, I watched six. So I watched, I watched six movies. Um that day and it was really fun just to be able to like look at the winners from each category and decide on kind of which ones um that i was in the mood for um and it, it went really well i was very excited about it. it it did feel like a long day at the end yeah. um but i think it was a great way of kind of experiencing what i felt like was like what ended up being like some of the best of the best which was really cool i'm so impressed that you watched six because one time at when i went to south by southwest i watched five movies in one day now granted with south by you're like walking places everywhere and it's like in the texas heat and um you're standing in outside in line so it's like a little more physically exhausting than just being at home but i watched five movies in in one day i tried to like cram them all in and the next day i felt like I had the worst hangover of my life. Like <laughs> it was, and I hadn't had any alcohol. I like, it was just, I felt like the, this, the tension of staring at a screen that long, like messed with me. So six movies, I, I commend you. Six, six is definitely my record. Um, but I also did six movies a couple weeks ago. I did a Western marathon and I, th- mm. I just feel like it's different at home because totally. you can just pause, you can run to the restroom, you can, you know, make yourself a snack. Like it, it just feels more chill. Um, but it is, it is a lot by the end of the day, you are exhausted. So, <laughs> so did you have anyone joining in with you for any of the movies? Yes. Um, Lawson Soward, uh, an old, old host of this podcast also came up, he took the day off. It was a, that's the other thing is a Wednesday. So we just kind of took the day off and we're just like, all right, we're doing this. Yeah. So he came over first thing in the morning, we had donuts and started watching movies oh. and then made lunch and then ordered dinner. So it was charming. So, was so great. charming. I yeah. had my, um, my friend Linda, who I'm, you know, pandemicing with um she she joined me for one of them and it was really nice to yeah like have someone to to experience that with yeah rebecca had to work all day um sure. <laughs> like an adult right but i <laughs> but she did join us for for the last movie which was fun yeah. um yeah so let's let's get into some of the highlights i would love to hear uh, i think we've got two films that we both saw that we want to talk about but um highlight definitely some of the ones the other ones that you just thought stood out to you okay so um I only saw one movie, I just want to say, that was very bad. Like, <laughs> that was, like, actively, like, oh, this is, this shouldn't have been a movie. And um, that was called How It Ends. And that was, like, a movie that has, like, a lot of celebrities in it. And it's a lot of celebrities that I like. So I was, like, very like, excited to see it. Um, and it's was filmed during the pandemic. And it's about a the last day of the world, like an asteroid's coming. So everyone knows it's the last day of the world. And it's about one woman just kind of like making peace with herself and also visiting a bunch of people. So the, so when she filmed it, it was her going to people's patio, celebrities patios and them standing at a distance, having a, a dialogue scene, you know, that was the whole film. Yeah. And I think you could do that really well. And this movie just, I think, they kind of, I think, probably whipped out this script in, you know, a few days and just said, let's let's make it. Why not? Let's have some fun. Um, And, you know, kudos to them for making something during a scary time. But it wasn't very good. Um, So I just want to get that out of the way. But I was like, highlight a couple films. And you're like, let me tell you about the worst one I saw. But here, I just need to talk about it with someone because I really was so excited to see it. And oh, then yeah. so disappointed. Here's here. Let me tell you about two that I really loved, though. Um, the first was a movie that I loved, but might not be for everyone. It is a documentary called Cusp. Um, it like it covers the uh, mostly the summer of these three teen girls in a very small town in Texas, um, and. Immediately, that's all I need to know to sign up for it. I was a teen girl who grew up in a small town in Texas. So I'm like, oh, I love to see a documentary about my own experience. And what that documentary turned out to be was 
kind of a look at the trauma of being a teenage girl. And these three teen girls had a very different childhood than I did. And it was sad and reck- and it was a reckoning to to like view how different of a childhood they had and at the same time it was also so like emotional to see all the ways we were similar and all the things that I related to being a teenage girl in Texas um they it has to do a lot about sexual assault um in just that these teen girls sexual assault is like a very major part of all of their lives and it's talked about very frankly um in a way that is just like kind of jaw-dropping um the filmmakers are also in addition to catch uh, like capturing these really emotional and honest conversations from teenagers which i think is a pretty hard thing to do um they also did such an amazing job of, like, capturing a very, very specific vibe, which is, <laughs> like, dirty, messy, wild Texas teenagehood. Um, they are, you know, there's lots of drinking and smoking and cursing and trash, but also there's, like, sun and tattoos and that beautiful beautiful texas sky that i am so fond of um and i was shocked to find out that these the directors of this film um weren't from texas themselves because they capture it so lovingly you know and they i think they capture what makes texas special um and so it made me really nostalgic for home and it also um it was a kind of movie that was like even though there's so much trauma in it and so much, so many times I was watching it where I was like, oh, these poor girls and you're, you're judgmental of all these people that are surrounding them that are hurting them. I feel like I could watch this movie over and over. Um, I, I did rewatch it immediately after it ended. Like I just hit rewind and started from the beginning and watched it all over again because I was so into the atmosphere that the filmmakers captured. Um, so Cusp, I don't remember what award it won, but it did win one of the documentary awards at Sundance. It did. Yeah. Um, I also forget. I think it was Audience. Yeah, maybe. It, I I don't remember, but I just, I, I'm so fascinated by it, and I can't wait till it's available again for me to rewatch. Um, we definitely started this movie. Oh, um, interesting. And two minutes in, Lawson made us turn it off. <laughs> How so? Why so? Couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle it. We didn't even get to any of the plot. It was just the introduction to the characters and everything. It was just like, oh, this is going to be rough. Oh, because <laughs> so. in the introduction scene is like some guys with guns, right? Guys with guns, just te- teenagers talking about how they don't understand themselves yet. I think, I think it was a long day, and I think Lawson was like, let's do something more upbeat. <laughs> okay, gotcha. From like an emotional perspective, y'all were like, yeah. not really a- ready for this right now. Got it. Okay. Um... Yeah, I I still think though that y'all would find it very fascinating. Um, so I I would recommend maybe seeing it in the future. Yeah. The other movie I want to talk about is called Together Together. It stars Ed Helms and Patty Harrison, and um, this is a sort of like an indie comedy dramedy about a str- single straight man in his late forties who is just decided he's ready to start a family and he'll do it by himself. And so he seeks out a surrogate um, to have a ch- have his child. And that surrogate is played by Patty Harrison. And the two, through the experience, form a really, really close bond. Um, and I adored this movie. I haven't seen a lot of 2021 movies, but this is easily the top of the year so far. Um... I wasn't ready for how good it was going to be. It really just kind of, one, it's very funny. Patty Harrison is incredibly funny. It also, Ed Helms, like, you know, he has a proven comedy record. And it also has, in a background role, Julio Torres, who's a writer for SNL. Um, He 
also is in this film and Julio Torres makes every single scene he's in hysterically fun. Like I just adore everything he does comedically. So amazing cast. Tignataro is in it. Just a real like, you know, list of heavy hitters. But this film, this script is also just so emotionally available. These characters are like having frank and honest conversations with each other and it's a look at like what does a platonic relationship between these two people look like? A man in his 40s, a woman in her 20s that is fully platonic. Um, I think most indie films of this like with this kind of subject matter would take the very lazy approach of making them kind of like hook up with each other, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, they fall for each other. And then that's the drama is that the guy fell for his surrogate. And and this film film doesn't take that at all. And it is so refreshing. And you don't, we don't have a lot of movies, I think, that examine platonic relationships. And in, in, when, in like that is the plot of the movie is literally what their relationship is developing into. Um, they go to therapy together. And like, so that is like what the movie is about. And it's not just like a side part of a plot, you know? Um, and I was just so moved by how these two adults who were kind of lonely, found each other, relied on each other, and also struggled with like, should we be this close? Um, I found it very, very beautiful. This is definitely one that I wanted to watch. Um, wasn't able to because it didn't win anything. But, yeah, sadly. Um, it's, it's one I'm excited to, to see when it finally does come out. Yeah. Big, big time recommend for everyone to see. It's like, you know, across the board, really great yeah. for people. Yeah. Well, cool. What about you? Um, I there's a, there's a couple that I want to highlight before we get into our big ones. But the first one is Flea um f-l-e-e um it is a uh documentary about a refugee um who goes from afghanistan to denmark um and it's 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 done in an interesting way because it uh, uh, (laughs) to hide his identity because part of part of kind of what he's talking about is that he 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 still does have to kind of hide his identity a little bit um they've actually animated the documentary so it is all you know it was filmed and it's all you know, real documentary footage, but then they've gone and animated it and even animated the conversations in some part parts where you see the documentary, the documentarian and the subject kind of just sitting there talking to each other. Um, but then it also allows them to do a lot of um, animation as he's telling his story um, of kind of going back and, you know, seeing what his life was like in Afghanistan and, and, and what that, uh, you know, that immigration process has looked like for him. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting way of, I think, telling a story. Um, and it's just very, it, it's unique and it's something that I hadn't seen before. And it's also a very moving story. It's very interesting, um, kind of seeing how th- it's not just, you know, obviously one event that happens to a person, it, it kind of ripples all throughout your, you know, your future life. It changes the way you look at the world and, um, and, and people. Um, and so I, I thought that was just a pretty brilliant, uh, documentary and way of kind of handling that. Um, and I would highly encourage everybody to see that once it comes out. I don't think it has been bought by a distributor yet. Um, so we, we will see where that, where that shows up in the future. Um, the second one I wanted to talk about is Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be te- Televised. Um, this is the story. This is a, another documentary uh, directed by Questlove. Um, and it's set in the same summer as Woodstock, 1969, um, except this talks about a festival in Harlem. Um, called the Harlem Cultural Festival. And it's really just celebrating, you know, African-American music and promoting, you know, black pride and unity. And all of this footage had been kind of stored in a basement and hadn't been seen since the festival. And so kind of him going back and, like, bringing people just not even... Also people who performed, but just people from the festival who remember the festival and wanted to kind of talk about it um, in to kind of watch this footage and kind of talk about what it was like to be there and be in that... Um, in that time period. And so I think I, I really thought it was beautiful. It was really fun to see, um, to see that music and see people in a park celebrating. <laughs> so it was a uh, very nostalgic. So that's, that's the other one that I, I think everybody should definitely see. Hearing you talk about these, it made, it makes me wish I really would have 
made more time for more of the documentaries. Um, especially because, like, that is one of the joy of film festivals, is how many documentaries are there. And documentaries are the kind of films that we just, they don't get the publicity and we don't get access to them in theaters, you know, in the way that we should. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, if you ever are at a film festival, really make time for the docs because some of my favorite cool films I've seen throughout the years are documentaries that I saw at a film festival and then never got bought, you know, and like, mm, yeah, like don't you can't really find them easily. And you just kind of remember like, wow, that really cool documentary that I would never have known about or ever seen otherwise, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm positive these are going to show up somewhere, so definitely. I'll definitely keep everybody in the loop as to where where you can finally stream these. Yeah, um, awesome. All right, well, we've got two movies that we want to talk about. One is On the Count of Three, and the other one is Coda. Um, these are two of kind of the, I think, big flashier movies that ca- coming out of the fest- festival. Um, so we can dig into that. I don't know how much we want to get into spoiler stuff in this conversation, um, but we can start high level. Yeah, I say we don't spoil these movies because okay. m- pretty much very few people in the world yeah. can have access to them. So, um, Sounds yeah, good. I say we don't. So we'll start with On the Count of Three. This is basically about two best friends who um, make a pact to end their lives at the end of the day. And it's about kind of this, what they've decided is their last day um, on Earth. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on The Count of Three. Well... As you can tell from the subject manager, this was kind of a rough watch for me, like emotionally. Um, Yeah. I was really anticipating this film because it's the directorial debut of Gerard Carmichael and he stars in it. Um, Along with Christopher Abbott, who's an actor that I really, really like and admire, you know, professionally. And so here's the thing. Gerard Carmichael is someone who... I don't always love, but I am interested in. And he, at one point, had his own sitcom that I really appreciated. I, I loved the way that it, um, he the sitcom that he created, like, used the sitcom format to tackle current events and issues. And he's kind of, like, in that sitcom, the best case version of, like both sidesism and that he'll look at both sides of an issue um and give it you know like let each side make their argument kind of thing um in a way that doesn't feel like frustrating the, the way that that can often yeah. feel <laughs> um so i i really appreciate about that about him and like his work so i was very interested in this movie i found Many scenes in this movie to be very, very well written and really fascinating and like very interest, a very interesting perspective on lots of different like subject matter that it takes. But the overall film was just so bleak and that it made it very hard to watch. And I mean, to be fair, it's bleak on its face you know it's not like like you know this is a movie about people that are interested in suicide so like you know going in that there's a bleakness inherent right um so i can't fault it for that um but yeah and and there's also this movie has like a level of chaos to it that didn't work for me i will just say um yeah, but at the same time, lots of stuff in it that did work and lots of aspects that I, again, certain, the way that it tackles, kind of talks about guns a lot throughout the film, and the way it talks about guns, <laughs> I was a big fan of, um, yeah. and I thought the character, like, the Christopher Abbott character was a fascinating character, um, but yeah, overall, didn't work for me as a whole. What about you? I- I think Christopher Abbott is fantastic in just about everything he does. I love yeah. him so much. And have you so seen getting Black Bear? That I have seen Black Bear. Yeah. 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 Really He's so good. So yeah. good in that. Um and I hear he's great in Possessor, which I'll never see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, this this movie I was really into the comedy parts of it. Um and what I th- what I think is really interesting is it's Again, like you said, it's a pretty, it's a darker movie, um, but he casts a lot of comedy people in it, right. um, playing people who I don't like 
I think on the page, these aren't funny characters, but I think they can bring some lightness and comedy in these pretty dark situations that they're kind of delivering, um, which I think is an interesting take. I also think that the story itself is inherently funny in times. And like you said, like what it talks about with um, kind of guns and stuff like that, I, I, I loved every second of that. It was very, very funny. And it continued to kind of harp on, <laughs> you know, guns and gun control and, you know, what guns do to people. Um, and yet also kind of, I think, tackles some of the harsh realities around um, around guns, so I think I think it doesn't uh, definitely doesn't flinch away from that, and so I think um, I think in general I liked this movie. I think it's something that is definitely not going to be for everybody, and I think is going to be a pretty hard watch most of the time. Yeah. So it, I don't think it's one I'll, I'll watch again. But um, I thought it was a good movie, and yeah. I'm very interested to see what he directs next because I would love to see uh, more direction on his part. Uh, it, it makes me wonder, like it what direction he wants his career to head in directorially you know like does he want to keep making movies this dark does he want to do like a full out and out comedy does he you know does he want to do both i'm I'm very curious that is yeah so that's on the count of three um available at some point somewhere we'll see um Yeah. Okay. So, but last but not least, we we definitely want to talk about Coda, which I think was the big winner coming out of Sundance. It won the Grand Jury Prize. It won the Audience Award for Dramatic Competition, and it won uh, Directing for Dramatic Competition. So, Coda, which stands for Child of Deaf Adults, um, is about a girl named Ruby who is the only hearing person in her deaf family, um, and it's about kind of her family's fishing company and her interest in music and how that just kind of really really clashes um with their family and i think there's a lot of movies about you know someone having a dream and a passion that doesn't really line up with their family um but i think this tackles it in a very different way um because it's not about them being um kind of against their her passion it's more about them just truly not understanding it and still wanting to support her and have her be involved in the family and be a part of the family business and stuff like that um i just think it i just think it comes out differently um when you see it like this um i would love to hear your thoughts on it when I watched Coda, well, first of all, I was really excited for it because it stars um, Marley Matlin as the yep. character's mother. And Marley, people, she's pretty well known. She's an Oscar winner. She, you know, um, and I've always just like every time she shows up in a show I'm watching or a movie, I'm always excited to see her. Um, and I also am just really excited for more stories about deaf people and that community. Um, and so seeing that this was at Sundance had me really excited. When I watched it, I was like, this movie is lovely. It's so sweet. I'm happy, happy watching it, you know, uh, happy to be watching it, I should say. And it's a movie I would recommend people, but I wouldn't have described it as kind of like a must see. It was just kind of like a nice, sweet movie. And in fact, I think I texted those exact things to you. Like, yeah. not a must <laughs> but, you know, nice. Yeah. And then as it sat with me for a few days, I grew more and more fond of it. I found myself constantly referring back to scenes. Um, I found myself singing songs that are in the movie. I found myself just like, I had so much warmth for this story and these characters. And... That is really impressive to me that a movie can like stay with you in that way. And I think speaks to how good it is that when you're watching it, you're just having a good time. And then it sneakily like really burrows its way inside your heart. Um, So I'm a big fan is all is what I'll say about Coda. I definitely had scenes keep coming back to me kind of days after. And I, as I was watching it, I was like, this is a very cute, um, good movie. Like it was like, it's the perfect word. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this is technically, you know, great. Everything's going according to plan as far as the plot goes. No crazy, you know, twists coming out of nowhere. I, it's all going really well, um, and it felt very, very sweet. Um, I, I really loved Eugenio Derbez, um, who plays the um, her music teacher, and I think. <laughs> He's awesome in a lot of things. I think he works very well. I was very curious as to why they cast him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he works so well here as Definitely. like someone who is very interested in teaching. There's always like a funny teacher who's like not really interested in teaching, but, you know, very 
you know, invested, finds a kid who he's very invested in kind of a thing. He is really someone who is very interested in teaching. He does love to teach, but he's not willing to kind of... <laughs> you know, waste his time on people who aren't interested in kind of music. And so kind of his relationship with her and kind of how they, they communicate, I also thought was really, really unique and fun to, fun to watch. Um, and just kind of the way he talks about um, the way his accent is kind of, uh, kind of pulled into it as, as kind of she's talking about how um, she, you know, she growing up with deaf, deaf parents and, you know, how her classmates had to, you know, made fun of her for, um, you know, having a um, accent. Have, yeah, having having an accent growing up and stuff like that, and just kind of the way that he talks about it, I think, I think it was unique. It wasn't something I was expecting from a movie like this, and I, I yeah, I, I really loved him in it. And in general, I just think this movie had a, a a bunch of really interesting points that, again, in the moment, I was just like, I like this. This is cute. Um, and then later would keep coming back to. And again, the music, um, fantastic. So, I this movie was bought by Apple um, for a record of like twenty five million dollars. Yeah, yeah, the most a Sundance movie has ever sold for. So this will be on Apple TV Plus at some point this year, probably. Um, I think what's interesting is that if a movie was released now, it's still eligible for this year's Oscars. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen for someone, for any of the Sundance movies. But someone on Twitter basically said that like the Apple literally could put it on Apple TV this weekend, and it would yeah. could it, it could win Oscars. Like yeah, yeah, I think. Um, as far as buzz goes, I don't right. know if that's a good idea or a no. Bad idea, they'll probably use some market, get some marketing buzz going for it instead. Right. But yeah, um, I want to point out that this film, all of the deaf characters in this film are played by deaf actors. Um, yeah. I think that's really great and important. And the actor, his name's Troy Kotzer. He plays the main character's father in the film, and. I'm trying to see if he's done anything before this. Let me see. He yes, has. he has. He's been in a lot. And, uh, but I've never seen him before. I was unfamiliar with him. And he brings so much joy to this film. Um, his performance is just so funny and loving. And he was just a joy to watch. And I, he really made the film for me. And I can't wait to see him in more things. Um, because... Yeah, I was. That was my favorite part of the film was his performance. Yeah, he was fantastic. I, I also loved the brother. Just the way yeah. the brother, um, what kind of was portrayed as a loving brother, but also an antagonistic brother, as you know, as yeah. siblings go. I thought, I thought, I thought it was really fun. Totally. So. One thing I want to mention about um, the choir teacher character that you were talking about is I love how he plays him. It just it felt so familiar to me as that teacher who has like this big personality, you know, that's kind of a little over the top <laughs> and, and, um, and intimidating for a teenager, you know, like yeah. Yeah. trying everything, not like to be the opposite of that. Um, <laughs> who's trying to like fade into the background. Um, that it reminded me of so many like theater teachers I've had over the years, you know, and that was very charming. A lot um, of theater vibes, for sure. <laughs> we've also, we've got to talk about the fact that this film has the kid from Sing Street in it. Oh my gosh, yeah. How do we not talk about that? I, I wouldn't have let us leave it without. <laughs> um, it took me so long to recognize him. Um, really? I, I, I obviously love Sing Street. Um, that kid has gotten much older and much taller since yeah. that movie. Um, but yeah, I I, I mean, I, I think he's great in it, and his American accent is fantastic. I was really impressed. Um but I also think like having people who can sing in movies about, you know, singing uh, is super important. And having kind of the naturalistic um, aspects of just, you know, kind of quickly being able to, to sing stuff together and things like that is always fun to watch for me in movies and kind of the chemistry of people singing together. Um, and so having him in this movie, who I already loved, um, working with, uh, what's her name? Amelia Jones, who I'd never seen in anything before. Um, yeah. But she, I thought she was great in it, too. So Well, and he kind of plays the high school, like, teen that she, the main character has a crush on, you know? And I found their chemistry to be really, really charming. Um, it felt like such a naturalist, like, a natural look at that kind of teen chemistry instead of what often teen movies do, which can be fun, is, like... They show you teenagers that, like, flirt like adults. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. these 
characters felt like teenagers in a way that was really sweet. Um, so yeah, I really appreciated that. Um, yeah. And I'll just say like, without spoiling anything, this movie has like a climatic emotional moment that just had me weeping. Um, and like this movie is just about like a family that really loves each other, you know? And that's a really wonderful thing to see a watch a movie about. Um, and so, yeah, this movie was very, very sweet, very, like, touching. I'm excited to see it again. <laughs> yeah, well, this will be Can't out. I, you know, everyone will get a chance to see Coda for the yep. low, low price of an Apple TV Plus subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I caught up on WandaVision this week. I, this was something that I <laughs> kept saying I was eventually going to, to watch. Um, and when I realized that they were like 30 minute episodes that I, I realized how low of a commitment bar that that is to, <laughs> to easily kind of get into. Um, so there are five episodes out at the time of recording, um, which is two and a half hours, which is basically a Transformers movie. Um, <laughs> that's a terrible comparison. I don't, <laughs> you can watch it as easily as you would watch a Transformers movie. <laughs> I'm going to say it's a little bit better than that. Yeah, yeah, definitely better than that. Um, So this was fun. I'm glad I waited and watched kind of... I mean, I'm I'm acting like it's over. We're halfway through. I guess there's there's nine episodes. Yeah. So let's just Um, say, I think WandaVision, when it premiered on Disney+, Plus, they released the first two episodes. And then after that, they went week to week. um, A new episode every week. So did you watch it that way? Um, I watched the first three episodes all at once and then watched week to week after that. I think, I think that's what I did. Um, and so, or maybe I watched the first four and then watched the fifth one a week later. I can't remember exactly, but, um, the most recent episode I've watched, I I had to wait to watch and now I'm waiting for the sixth episode and, um, yeah. And so this is, so we're halfway through and, I don't know how you feel about this, Lucas, but I just want to say that, like, this movie is, there's a lot of, like, twists and spoiler stuff, and not movie, the show has a lot of twists and spoiler stuff available that I'm really anxious to talk about with someone, Um, and so normally we kind of cover shows in their full, but because we're only halfway through, I feel like this is a good point for us to, like, catch up and then maybe follow up on the second half later on yeah definitely so at this point we're going full spoilers for yeah i think so i think that's the way to talk about wandavision i think so too is to just fully have the spoilers available yep let's also just say like we watch everything marvel right like pretty much every marvel every mcu movie we watch um i haven't watched every mcu television show um but i've watched some of them and none of them have wowed me i would say or like really kept me invested um what about you i know we watched like luke cage and what was that other one called um, Um, jessica jones yeah jessica jones yeah i think daredevil for me has been the best marvel tv show Mm -hmm. um at least season one i would like it definitely felt like a this i feel like everything gets compared to the nolan batman movies but it felt like a gritty like real life <laughs> um, yeah. version of a lot of the things that the superhero movies are talking about yet still tied into that world um and i thought they had a great villain and so i think i think those are the, the things that i felt like really stood out to me as um felt like a felt like a tv show that stood on its own as opposed to just being part of the marvel universe and that's the thing that makes it fun um yeah. it felt like it actually was real on its own um so but this this is the first one that i've been like excited about to watch like week to week yeah i watched agents of shield um the first season of it and Mm -hmm. it was not great you know like and i didn't watch after the first season but you know the the netflix marvel shows like jessica jones and luke cage and daredevil those felt like technically they're in the same universe but they feel like they're in a different world right like the tone is very different you don't really reference a lot of like the characters in the mcu you know it's um it felt separate right and agents of shield 
was very much in that world, you know, because it is about S.H.I.E.L.D., which plays a major part in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. And it ha- starred Agent Coulson, who is, like, in those movies and especially is in Avengers. And um, so it felt like low-budget MCU, you know? like <laughs> Yes. We, they didn't have any of the big movie stars, but they were referencing Thor. They were referencing the events of those movies a lot. Um, so, like, I was like, this is interesting, but not necessarily good. It's on ABC. It feels very procedural. Um, and I'm very excited for episodic versions of MCU that feel like it's in that universe. You know what I mean? That, like, it feels like we are hopping straight from the movies into an, a TV show that feels seamless, right? Um, yeah. At least that's how I feel so far about WandaVision. I want to know if you feel the same way. Yeah, definitely. I think this is, with all the other ones, it's like, here's how they can get around having to, um, you know, reference or connect this more to the Marvel Universe. Um, yeah. You're not going to have, uh, you know, Chris Evans show up in <laughs> a lot of those shows. And you definitely don't expect it. And in this one, not that I expect it, but it, it, it could happen. Like, in, truly anything could happen in the show is what it feels like. Um, right. So it feels like it's really part of that world, which I think gives some s- suspense to it. And you also know that the world changing things could have effect and could happen here that have effect um, in future movies as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I also want us to talk about like the, the sitcom aspect of WandaVision, like, because yeah. I am a huge fan of the sitcom format and how that has evolved throughout the decades is really interesting to me. So this show couldn't be more up my alley in that sense. Um, (laughs) I grew up loving to watch, like, I Love Lucy and um, 80s sitcoms, like, family sitcoms, like, Step by Step and Growing Pains, you know? Um, The Cosby Show. I'm trying to think of others that I've really... Cheers. I mean, this doesn't really apply because Cheers isn't a family sitcom, but these are shows that, like, I really, really have a fondness for. And... It is, for me, for other people, it probably seems, like, interesting or a gimmick. But for me, it truly is thrilling to see this show really be dedicated to nailing the tone, the the look, and the humor of each of these different decades of sitcoms. So the first three episodes um, kind of mimic a, a sitcom in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And then the fourth yeah. one jumps into the 80s. Um, I, I feel like it's very fun. The the 80s. What? The fifth one. Oh, you're right. You're right. The fifth one. Yeah, it's the 80s. Um, I have no connection to sitcoms basically at all um, until the 2000s. So I <laughs> <laughs> so I, so this this for me, was, it's like fun to see. And I understand the references to those sitcoms. Um, but it's like I've seen, you know, a couple episodes of I Love Lucy and the Dick Van Dyke show and stuff like that. So I don't feel that connection to them. Um, but it, I, th- I think it makes it interesting. I think if we... For me, especially in the first two episodes, um, the thing that really pulled me in was a lot of the mystery stuff. Like, why is this happening? Some of the, the weird Twilight Zone are... aspect, yes. like feel, yeah, right. exactly. Um, and then as as it went on, I got more and more connected to the sitcommy stuff. And again, since we're in spoilers, talking about the the fourth episode, which is the more traditional Marvel episode, yes. <laughs> talking about the outside world. Um, that got that got by the time we were there that was less interesting to me and i was really excited to get back to wanda and vision <laughs> oh you you didn't find the fourth episode as interesting i thought i thought it was good and i'm 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 glad they're they're starting to address some of those mystery stuff but i was yeah. like the whole time i was like okay cool i'm glad glad we're going to talk about this but i'm also right. very interested in wanda and vision so. yeah i i agree like for me the appeal and the cool part of the show is the wanda and vision aspect of it all and the the sitcom of it all um the when you when we go back into like the marvel feel and look mm-hmm. visually and we're having the characters and and kind of also the marvel sense of humor which yeah. doesn't always it's kind of like feels very generic i would say um it that was yeah less appealing to me it's so frustrating because i really like cat dennings um but i feel like and I and I was excited to see Kat Dennings in this because I was always like, I really kind of enjoyed that character in those Thor movies. Uh, she's kind of like mm-hmm. quirky and fun. And in this, 
her, her uh, they didn't get her a good comedy writer to like fulfill <laughs> that role you know it, yeah. it feels very one note um well i think but, with with people like her and randall park what i'm really interested in is seeing them in the sitcom world so that's something that i'm kind of hoping for I moving mean, that forward is that amazing because they i mean they're sitcom actors like that's that's who they are and so yeah. i want them in that sitcom world totally. and so that that that's kind of my thought is like yeah we have to do this setup but eventually like they're they're bringing these people in to have a bigger role in this show hopefully so get yeah i i would hope so too i didn't even think about that as a possibility and i'm like now really hoping that happens yeah, um yeah but what i will say about that fourth episode is that I mean, all the backstory is important and all the, like, exposition of what's going on outside of the WandaVision world I think is important to the story. But what was really thrilling about that episode is that opening with the Maria Rambo character. Um, is yeah. that her name? Yes. Yep. Um, and the way that we find we get context for what people returning from the blip was like um in like the regular world um yeah because we, we got that a little sequence. bit yeah we got that a little bit in the spider-man movie of just kind of a quick like it, it was two minutes of like hey everybody's back and here's how they feel about it now real quick but sure. we haven't actually seen really like what that the looks like it happened yeah um and so i yeah i really enjoyed that and it felt it, it was i don't know is we don't see a lot of just normal people on the ground like experiencing the marvel universe Right. Um, we see it from the Avengers point of view most of the time. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, of just seeing people. <laughs> so Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was, I think, terrifying in a way, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I do appreciate when these kind of movies can reckon with, like, that terror and trauma of all the superheroes actions, you know, like mm -hmm. even yeah. if they ultimately did the right thing, like that doesn't mean like, Oh, and everything was fine and everyone was happy. Like it, it's cool when they reckon with that. Um, and I think what it seems like is this is going to be a TV show about grief. Um, and again, yeah. it, it is a mini series, so it doesn't seem like this is going to be something that's going to be going on for many seasons. It feels like this is a one and done situation, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, but having a Marvel TV show that is, seems like the core theme that it's going to be talking about is grief is interesting to me and i am very excited to see how that plays out yeah i think something that was very interesting to me about season episode four was also seeing um wanda come out of the world and face mm -hmm. like all the agents yeah. because leading up to that moment you don't really know the circumstances like I think a part of me wondered, like, was she trapped somehow in this? Like, maybe she's created with her mind, but she's also trapped in it and doesn't know how to end it or get out. And to see instead that she left it and was actively like, like, no, I've created this and I want you to back up, like, yeah. was very, very interesting and revealing. I am very, I, I think there's more to the story there than, than sure. what we're seeing i think i think she is definitely running the show to a certain extent i think there's some other people involved um there's been a lot of references to witches in this show and right. obviously you know wanda maximoff her whatever comic book alias or whatever is scarlet witch so there's that but i think uh there's just more to it i think there's yeah. i think there's there might be more witches in the show than just her right and i'm very yeah. interested to see what that looks like moving forward um yeah not to completely think, change the subject, but Catherine Hahn's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Before we talk about Catherine Hahn, I just want to say it was very interesting to me that they noted in dialogue specifically that yeah. she that this that Wanda did not have a superhero alias, even yes. though we all know her as Scarlet Witch. That in the universe, that is not it, a not name what for she's her. Called. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm sure that will be coming back. But yes. Um, Catherine Hahn is great. Catherine Hahn is great in everything she's in. I'm obsessed 100%. with Catherine Hahn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, I don't think you get someone like Catherine Hahn just to play the quirky neighbor, neighbor for a couple episodes. So yeah. I'm very curious to see kind of how she, she fits in. Except what's this. interesting, though, Lucas, is in a different stage of her career, you absolutely do get Catherine Hahn to play the quirky neighbor character. A hundred percent. That is, that is very true. Um, I just think at this point with how, right. <laughs> how... right. But that's what yeah. the genius of that casting is. Yes. Like they didn't cast like a, a, someone who 
you would never think would just play the quirky neighbor. Right. They casted right. someone who is perfect for playing just the quirky neighbor, but who also can extend beyond that and is has like a depth that is probably going to prove to be very fascinating. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, and since since witches come in three, I definitely want to talk about um, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, um, Emma Caulfield. Emma Caulfield. Yes. Yes. Um, I it's think so she's funny great. Because was... You say from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I never saw Buffy. I know her from the, the rom com I'm obsessed with on Netflix called Timer that no one's ever <laughs> seen. But I, lo- she's so good in it. Um, um, anyway, so that's my... you're obsessed with Timer. Timer. The guy who directed Timer is the director of this show. Um, is he really? Yeah, yeah. He's the sh- not, not the showrunner. So much yeah, he's sense. the director I of all the episodes. I love Timer so much. <laughs> Timer? Everyone, everyone who likes rom-coms should see Timer. It is top of the line for me. Anyway, continue. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, oh, Emma Caulfield, you were talking about. Yes, Emma, Emma Caulfield. I think she's great. Um, I am very curious to see kind of where... There's a big deal made of her character at the beginning, and she's really only been in a couple episodes kind of real quickly. So I'm assuming there will be more coming forward. I, I do want to say um, Jake's, Jake Schaefer... Um, is the director of uh, Timer as well as uh, this whole show. And uh, she also wrote The Hustle. Okay. Which is another movie that you like. (laughs) Yeah. This is, no wonder I'm so on board. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan. Um, Yeah. So she's she's the, yeah, she's the writer showrunner, not the director. Got it. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I've been, I've had a lot of fun with the show. I'm very excited to see where where it goes forward. And I, obviously this is all built on, the comic book uh, run, the house of M. Um, but I think what Marvel does with the comic book runs is it takes like some ideas from those things. It's never doing it like a direct adaptation. So um, I don't think reading it is going to help you anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. Learn more about where this is going. But I, I, I do love the way Marvel kind of takes these ideas from comic book runs and just kind of spins them into new stories. Um, We need to, before we like, sign off i we have to talk about the biggest reveal at the end of episode five yeah how did we not do that <laughs> i completely forgot yeah um yeah so the x-men are here um we've got let me let me back up <laughs> when did the fox merger happen Is i don't know like a year ago, ago maybe a year ago yeah i feel like it was pretty recently um but kevin feige has said that um they are going to start looking into you know integrating some of those fox properties um, which include like the Fantastic Four and a lot of the Spider-Man villains and stuff like that, um, and which includes the X-Men. Um, what it, he has said is that he won't—they won't be like retroactively turning anybody into mutants, like say because they couldn't say they, anybody was mutants before, this. right? Um, so they're not going to retroactively do anything like that. But um, kind of moving forward, that's that's a possibility. And what we get here is um, Peter Evans, Peter Evans, Evan, Evan Peters, Peters. <laughs> jeez. <laughs> Evan Peters shows up as uh, her brother. Her brother Pietro. Uh, what, Pietro, yes. So he Who plays is the character Pietro Quicksilver. Quicksilver, um, and he, which he plays in some of the X Men movies. Um, as opposed to Aaron Taylor Johnson, who plays him in uh, what was the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'm interested to see what happens here. I don't know if this is necessarily like an introduction to that world or if this is just kind of like a fun twist that they're being able to play around with right as part of this kind of weird dream world that she's in i you know i think a lot of people are excited and interested in like what this means for like multiverse storytelling right because we we kind of know that dr strange is going to take on the multiverse and maybe spider-man will take on the multiverse about like the and idea scarlet that which is a main character in the new Doctor Strange multiverse movie. So. Exactly. So this is probably leading into that. And yeah. how, like, you know, that there are different universes where all these characters are played by different people and kind of referencing that. And I think that is really exciting. I can nerd out and get interested about that as well. What I'm actually really interested in is, like, from more of a production standpoint, like, did Aaron Taylor Johnson say, like, no, I'm not available? <laughs> and Evan Peters like, yeah, I am. And they're like, okay, yeah. cool. Now's an opportunity, I guess. Um, or was Evan Peters, like, the original chosen person to in, to be in this spot and introduce this right away? Right. Like, was Aaron Taylor Johnson even considered to come back and reprise his role? Um, yeah, it's a good question. And I'm also interested, yeah, like... 
does is this representation of this character is this a vision that she's having that's like not real you know is it um in the show it seems to be if we're gonna believe her like something she's not controlling and she's controlling everything else so you know how did something that she can't control kind of enter into her world um otherwise is a very interesting question um and yeah, is is he? What is what is what are the motives of this Pietro character? Is very I'm very fascinated. I have lots of questions in general, and I can't wait for Wandavision to answer all of them. Yep, <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm very excited about it. I'm having a blast with this show. So I I'm, I what do we have? Eight, uh, four more episodes or five more? I think five. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, can't wait to keep watching. Okay, cool. I think that's about it for us. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? Nope, that's it for me. All right, cool. Um, Sandra, where can we find you everywhere on the internet? You can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.